in a church cemetery in Olney, England, there is a granite tombstone with the following inscription. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Without a doubt, this same individual has written a hymn that is probably one of the best known Christian hymns throughout all the world. Not just among God's people, but almost everywhere people recognize the tune and can at least recite part of the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's John Newton's hymn. That's the story of God's amazing grace to him. The work of God in taking this individual and opening his eyes to reality, to convicting him of the fact that he was undone in his position before God, and that only in God's grace would he ever be acceptable to him. This hymn of John Newton is not only John Newton's hymn. I dare say, everyone here would say, Amazing Grace is my hymn as well. Because it reflects so many wonderful truths that we have all embraced in having tasted of the Lord's amazing grace. And this hymn, like so many others, is written out of experience. Newton stated, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. It is a recognition that God works in the lives of His people throughout their daily experience. And in doing so, discloses more and more of His august majesty and all-sufficiency to take care of them in any time of need. And not only do we find the hymn Amazing Grace as one that is precious to us, but when we turn to Israel's hymn book, the book of Psalms, we find many psalms there that we can identify with as well. And the psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 34, is one such psalm that is a favorite of many of God's people. Because just like Newton's hymn Amazing Grace, it resonates with us. We recognize the God who worked in the life of David and stirred him to record this hymn or this psalm is also one who is working in our experience to accomplish the same things. Psalm 34, not only is a psalm of David, but a favorite of many of us, and one in which we could say, this is our psalm as well. 
If we look at Psalm 34, it begins with a superscription, which is really verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. And that superscription says, A Psalm of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So we know that this psalm was composed by David, and he also gives us the historical circumstance which occasioned its writing. Now very obviously, as we look through the psalm, we find David didn't write it exactly when he was there before Abimelech, and fearing for his life. But afterwards, reflecting upon what had taken place, he wanted to give tribute to the Lord for the Lord's goodness to him. And David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Now if we're not familiar with the setting of this psalm, David was designated to be the next king of Israel. But that was a little troublesome to Saul. And so David, at this point, was running for his life because Saul wanted to remove the individual that he perceived to be a rival to the throne. And so David was fleeing from Saul and the armies of Israel who were seeking to capture him and put him to death. David, in the emotional heat of the moment, said, I'm going to flee to the Philistines. At least there, I'll be safe. And when he gets to the city of Gath, remember anything about Gath? It had a champion, a giant by the name of Goliath, who a few years earlier, David had slain in a contest between the Philistines and David. So David's in enemy territory, and when he arrives in the city of Gath, the buzzword begins to go around. This is the one of whom the songs of Israel say, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And a desire on the part of the Philistines to remove their enemy as well. And so David, he says here, feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, And he departed. And so David now is fearing for his life. And he pretends to be insane. And in doing so, Abimelech says, I have enough individuals who are insane in my city. I don't need another one. I don't want anything to do with it. Now there's been some question about the uh, term that is used to recognize this individual because in the superscription of the psalm it says Abimelech. And if you look in um, 1 Samuel chapter 21 when you have the historic uh, occasion, it says it was Echish that was the king in Gath that drove David away. Now how do you reconcile that? Well it's very simple. We have an individual in a position of leadership in our country, and very often when people meet him and address him, they say, Mr. President. But that's not his personal name. That's his position and title. Donald. 
Achish. Abimelech. It's the title, just like Pharaoh, just like Caesar. And so there's no discord in the Scripture. In this occasion, David is writing the title of the individual who's in the position of authority. And in 1 Samuel 21, it gives us the personal name of the king at that time. Now with that, as David writes this psalm, we find that it falls into the category of what would be called a praise psalm. That's not hard to understand as we look at the initial verses. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. But not only is this psalm a praise song, this song is also a wisdom song. It's to teach individuals important truth about living life before the Lord and for their best good. And David even wrote it in a way to make sure that people could remember it. It is an acrostic. That means this psalm was written according to the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet consists of 22 uh, letters or characters. And Psalm 34 is made up of 22 verses. And each verse begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So verse 1 begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Verse 2 with the Hebrew letter Beth. Verse 3, the Hebrew letter Gemel, etc. Only difference is, David omitted one of the Hebrew letters. And he repeated at the very end, one of those Hebrew letters, which in a sense is to drive home the teaching point of this song. So if you look over in verse 22, David stated, The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. So you're going A, B, C, D, E, all the way up to Z, and then all of a sudden you're back to P. And it's a way of causing you to reflect upon it and remember it. It's a wisdom song designed to teach us important truths. Now, what is it it's conveying? The important lesson of knowing, no matter where we are, no matter what we have done, no matter what is the reason for where we are and what we've done, God never abandons His people. I can be fleeing from Saul. I can make a poor decision and say I'm heading to the Philistines. I can find that I'm all alone. There's no one around me to help me or support me. And yet God is the one who is the stronghold, the one who takes care of His people. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord is the one that delivers them out of them all. Now how about in your circumstance or mine? See, it may not be that you're in a life-threatening circumstance like was true of David. But every day you and I face difficulties in life. And at times, they upset us emotionally and we're not sure what to do. And in the heat of the moment, when the emotions are controlling, we may make, we may make decisions or do things that isn't the wisest course of action. doesn't take long to sit down and say, well, if I think about David, running to the Philistines was not probably the wisest thing to do. But he had nowhere that he could flee to in Israel to find any sort of safety. And what he learned in all of this is that when his own resources and ingenuity failed, God never failed. 
He says, this poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his troubles. The realization is that wherever you are, whatever need you have, the message in this psalm is you need to be an individual that is depending upon trusting in the Lord because He is the only adequate resource to help us in any time of need. And if you have experienced the working of God in your daily life, you can't contain it. You can't keep it to yourself. You want to bring others into the experience of joy that you have. And so you will say, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. God has so worked and bound His people together that the reality is when one member of the body of Christ suffers, when an individual in the body of Christ goes through a hard time, God's people ache for that individual. And when they pray and ask God to intervene and work, and we see God's answer, not only does the individual who has been the recipient of the work of God have a cause to rejoice, God's people all join together and want to thank the Lord and enjoy the work that God has done on behalf of a brother or sister in Christ. What we need to recognize is that praise is not something that is meant to be individual. Praise is something that is to be corporately enjoyed by the people of God to give God the attention and the glory that He deserves. Now as we look at Psalm 34, it basically falls into the first half where David is offering his praise. And in the second half, beginning actually in verse 8, where he is providing the instruction and the teaching for what he has learned, what he has experienced, and that others may depend upon and trust in the Lord as well. Or if we look at the, the divisions within the psalm, what we have in verses 1 through 3 is the call to praise by David. In verses 4 through 7, the confession of David. This is the reason why I am exalting the Lord and want you to enjoy, to join me in praising Him. In verses 8 through 14, here's David's counsel. In light of the realities of life, see, we live life, and why is it sometimes we're kind of blindsided and things hit us unexpectedly? It's because we live in some sort of a make-believe world and think only good things are going to happen. And the reality is, life is full of troubles. And how is it we'll handle those troubles? And the recognition is that God is the only one that gives us the adequacy not just to endure the troubles, but to triumph through them and over them. It's not enough just to bite your lip and to go through life. It's a recognition that we need to be individuals who bring glory to the Lord and enjoy His blessing even when we go through times of difficulty. So in verses 8-14, through 14, David gives the counsel. Taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. How blessed are all who trust in Him. To those who trust in Him, notice what he says. Verse 10. Or two, nine. For those who fear him, 
There is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. A realization that God is the one that cares for all creation and all of his creatures. And in his design, the lions are up at night stalking prey. Well, some nights they go hungry. And some nights those lions lack the provision of what they need. When droughts hit the areas in the Serengeti or other places where the wild animals dwell, they're deprived of water, they're deprived of the food that they need to sustain life. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who fear the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. Now this isn't saying God's people never go through trouble. We recognize that David even states that in the psalm. Look over in verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. God's people go through many difficulties. But what is he saying? He is saying God cares for his own in a way that is far greater than how he cares for the other creatures on the earth. Didn't Jesus say that? Sermon on the Mount. Look at the sparrows. Not one of them falls from heaven apart from your father. And aren't you worth more than many sparrows? Look at the birds of the field. They don't punch a time clock and go to work every morning. From sunrise to sundown. And yet your father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable to him than the birds of the field? Or... Let's think about Psalm 23. If you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, what's the next line? I shall not want. Now part of that is God teaching you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Part of it is, like Paul would say when he wrote to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know how to get along when I'm deprived of needs, of my provisions. I know how to get along with an abundance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is the one that provides for his people for their spiritual well-being in all the circumstances in life. And like it says in Psalm 23, this same psalmist, David, said, My cup overflows. God's chesed, his covenant faithfulness, and his compassion follow me every day of my life. The blessing for the people of God is, God is the one who has promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And the reason why God's people can have such great comfort in him is he's already given the most important, the most precious, the most costly of all gifts. He didn't spare his own son, but he delivered him up for his people. How will he not with Christ freely give us all things? He takes us through fiery trials. He takes us through the deep waters. He takes us through the circumstances of life that we learn more of the all-sufficiency and capability of God.
The reason David could say, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be on my mouth, is the recognition that God took David through a life-threatening circumstance. He cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him, and the Lord delivered him. The beauty of biblical Christianity, it's not a theoretical religion. It's not just individuals postulating ideas about God. It's looking at life the way it really is. And it's finding out in the Lord there is refuge in Him to give sufficiency to God's people no matter how difficult the circumstance may be that they face. And if like David, you are an individual that has trusted in the Lord and you walk with Him each day, then you are learning more about what God is like, not only in the reality of what you learn of Him in the Word, but how you see Him working in your daily life to take care of your needs and to benefit and bless you in all things. So David says, I will bless the Lord. That is, I'm going to congratulate Him. I'm going to salute Him. I'm going to acknowledge Him at all times. His praise, Hillel, the spotlight of my life, where I am focusing my attention, is on the Lord Himself. I will praise Him continually by my mouth. My soul will make its boast. What are you bragging about? What do you think is important? David says the one that I want to brag about is the Lord Himself. Because He is the one that is able to do what no one else could ever do. And even though He has taken me into places where I see I'm at the end of my resources, I have no hope, no strength, no ability in myself. God is the one that intervenes and accomplishes what is for my good. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it. And what are the humble going to do? They're going to rejoice with me. And so he says, let's magnify. Let's enlarge. Let's begin to give God the credit for just how great and awesome He is. The reputation of God needs to be expounded by God's people that individuals of the earth may see that there is truly no one like the Lord our God. Let us exalt, that is, lift up on high His name together. Most importantly, as you and I consider why we should magnify the Lord, we should bless Him, we should give Him the glory and the honor that He deserves, this As he says at the end of this psalm, evil shall slay the wicked. Sometimes unexpectedly, those who deny God and turn their back on God, they're gone forevermore. But more importantly, when they're gone from this physical life, what yet awaits them is standing before God. And those who hate the righteous will be found guilty. They'll be condemned. But in contrast, the Lord redeems. He ransoms. 
He pays the price. Your salvation is so costly, as it states in the Psalms, that you should cease trying to accomplish it forever. What is it that can wash away your sin? Not the works of your hands. Not your good deeds. Not your religious duties. Nothing but the blood of Christ. He redeems the soul of His servant. And the outcome is, as Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If there is ever a cause of rejoicing, a time for you and I to say, what ought to characterize me each day is that I am blessing the Lord. His praise is on my mouth. Because whatever takes place, whatever transpires, it is still under the control of my God. And I know that He is bringing these things to pass for my good. And as He is working, He is conforming me more and more to the image of Christ. So that when I stand before Him, like John Newton, I too will be a trophy of God's grace. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt Him. How great truly is our God. When Newton was nearing the end of his life and his uh, mental faculties were leaving him, in one of uh, his final sermons, he said the following, My memory is nearly gone, but there are two things that I remember. I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those, not any one of those, who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Hallelujah. What a Savior.